This episode is brought to you by AudioQuest, makers of the mythical series Analog Interconnects. Click the link in the show notes for more information. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. This time out, we are joined by the CEO of Rune Labs, Enno Vandermeer. Welcome, Enno. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. Now, we are talking today about Rune 2.0. Am I right? We are indeed. And you're launching that today? We are. And the thing is, is basically, Rune 2.0 is no longer a single app on the phone. It's no longer just Rune Remote, is it? There's a new app called Rune Arc. Do you want to tell us about that? Absolutely. Um, the big change that's coming with Rune 2.0 is the ability to have the Rune experience outside your home. And the way we've accomplished that is by releasing a new app um, that's built from the ground up for that purpose called Rune Arc. Mm-hmm. And I guess the obvious question right out of the gate, and, and when I, it was the question that I had when I first saw Rune Arc was, why couldn't you fold this functionality into the existing Rune Remote app? The answer is a little technical. Um, Basically, the Rune Remote app, um, which has been out for years, was designed to work on a LAN, on a local network with your Rune core. Hmm. So the way it works architecturally is that it it assumes that it's got quite a lot of bandwidth, a very fast connection to the core. Um, And when we looked at the requirements for a mobile experience, um, obviously, they're quite different. You need to have a, a stable and reliable experience when you're on low bandwidth networks, when you maybe have a slow or no connection at all to your core. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the communications architecture, it had to work differently. So we had to start from scratch there. Um, it has some other requirements as well, which is, uh, for example, codecs to allow you to decode compressed audio when you're on very low bandwidth networks. The app had to be stable in all these contexts. So when we looked at, we took inventory of what was in Rune Remote, we realized we were going to have to go back to the drawing board on a number of these architectural components. So it made sense to sort of start from scratch. Mm -hmm. So basically, the premise, as I understand it, because I've been using it for a couple of weeks, um, is that it's an app that you can use to connect to your Rune core from outside the house. It gives you access to all the files that are inside your library that are uh, attached to the core on a hard drive, so the local storage and yeah, local files stored. But right. it also gives you the ability to stream content from Tidal and Cobas, again, out in the street. But I guess, the, the I mean, the key feature for me, right, I'm going to, because I've been bugging you guys for this one feature for, I think, five years, right? I think you and I discussed this when I first moved to Berlin, and you're like, yeah, we're on it, but it's going to take some time. And we're finally here. Right, it's it's that I can use Rune Arc not just to stream the content from the hard drive attached to my core, but also offline it to my phone. So I can either do that in the house before I go out, I can do it over the air when I'm out of the house, so the offlining, or I can just stream directly and I can choose the the quality of that stream when I'm streaming directly. So I get a choice of offlining and streaming, right, for locally stored content on my core. Exactly. And yes. And in fact, you can sort of think of it as being a sort of a a streaming service for your own personal content that's powered by your Rune core. That's kind of how we talk about it. 
Um, mm. So you've got your library of files. You can choose to sync them to your phone, to offline them to your phone while you're at home. Mm. Or if you're away on holiday and you've forgotten that one album you want to hear, you can stream it over the air or download it over the air. Right. So, because a couple of years ago, I made a video about <laughs> a competitor's product, right? I won't say who they are because there's no need. But I actually, I actually sold it to my audience in the video. It's like, this is your own private streaming service. And I must say, I did get an unexpected amount of pushback from some of my audience saying, well, I think just using a one terabyte micro SD card is just as good. And I'm like, well, no, because if your library is three terabytes large, how do you decide which files one terabyte's worth you put on your card and what if you go out of the house and you go, hang on a minute, I want to listen to other album that I didn't move across. Exactly. So this, this whole personal streaming service thing is the best way to describe it. So no man gets left behind, no album or release gets left behind and you can pull them down whenever you need, wherever you are. Exactly. And the thing that was sort of a revelation when I started using it uh, sort of day to day was that in the past with Rune, I mean, Rune has always been very focused on playback in the home. When I was outside the home, I'd have to fall back to alternative solutions, whether that was using the title app or whatever it was. Mm. And in every case, there would be something missing from my usual home experience, whether it was a, a playlist or a particular recording of an album that I had or something from my day-to-day -day music experience that was missing in that alternative solution. So ARC aims to solve that problem when you can mm -hmm. actually see all of your favorites, all of your tags, all of your playlists, just as you see them at home, but then have them on the road. Right. I mean, I just made a, a video about <laughs> why I still buy CDs again, right? And one of the reasons is that on my server, on my core, on the hard drive, I have many old masters that are, have since been removed or replaced by more modern day masters on streaming services, right? So those original masters don't exist on streaming anymore, but I've got them on my core. So the music nerd that I am, where it collides with being an audio nerd, I can listen to that original master of, I don't know, the Smiths or something like that, because because that's what I want to do, right? It, it gives me that flexibility. I know that's a real kind of niche case, but you know, some of us are special. <laughs> Absolutely. And the other thing is that all these other solutions, whether you're loading up an SD card or you're using a different app on the road, they also they, they force you to make compromises of one kind or another. Either you have to do a ton of librarian work, you know, loading up your card or whatever, and then to your point, what's the thing that you missed? Or you're having to sacrifice some features or access to a particular version of something. So this sort of bridges that gap. The other point about sort of micro SD cards or SD cards that you take with you for your portable player is that you have to have the metadata all sorted on those files because your player on your portable player, your phone app or whatever, whatever you're, you're using to play local files from the SD card. So it's going to be an Android device. It's not going to be an iPhone. You have to have the metadata sorted. Otherwise, it's not going to appear properly. Whereas with Rune Arc, you don't have to worry about that. Well, I, certainly in my experience, I don't. Because that metadata layer seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, seems to be carried over into the Arc app. It does, absolutely. Right. So just as Rune at home, we get the metadata layer. So I don't have to worry about tagging my files as meticulously as I once did. <laughs> Again, being an audio nerd. But um, yeah, I just don't have to worry about that. And this is this is another failing for me of the the SD card argument. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just so anti SD card now 
for so many different reasons. That well, it's a bit. It, it makes you feel like you're going back to Winamp. You know, you've got to do everything by hand. You've got to curate everything ahead of time. Nothing updates. None of the metadata updates. So you're. It's it's like you're back in the '90s in a way, um, in terms of your workflow. Yeah, because then you have to have two copies of everything, one on your server, one on your card, and you have to make sure that they're both tagged properly and they're both synced properly. I mean, it's it's not just that it's a pain in the ass, it's an unnecessary pain in the ass, right? And it's just, I think it's old school thinking. It's a bit like buying an amplifier and saying, I love this thing because it has no remote control. And, you know, and if you don't (laughs) want to stand up and turn the volume wheel, then you're a snowflake, right? So it's... But you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you don't want to turn the volume wheel, you're weak. You know, it's almost like there are, there are points to be had for doing it tough. I don't, I never buy into this argument. I think it's just, it's just silly. Oh, you got to put in the hard yards to enjoy your music when you're, uh, when you're on the go. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely nonsense. Right. So I'm glad we're on the same page on that. <laughs> but anyway, okay, okay. So enough of my sort of audio nerd jocularity. Um, I do have some, if I may, some fairly pointed questions about ARC itself. Um, the first one, and I know I've got a beta, right? So yeah. when it starts up, there is like a couple of seconds delay between the app starting and connecting to my server. And what it shows me, and you'll forgive me for ambushing you with this question, I know, because I didn't tell you this one in advance, is it says, <laughs> there is a problem with your server. So I'm hoping that when you come to re- sort of release well, when I get the full version, is that there's maybe a startup screen and it gives you know two seconds grace before it says there's a problem with your server because I know there's not. But the first time I saw it, it was like, there's what? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think we could take that one under advisement. That seems like a reasonable ask. Yeah, a bit, a bit of a gentler message maybe. Yeah, like, I mean, just or, yeah, please wait while we're starting up or something like that. Yeah. Um, the second one, so looking at the the download button for albums that are on the hard drive on my core, the download button is is tiny, number one. And why isn't it next to the play now button, next to the heart button? I, all I can say here is that I, I agree with you. I think I think we this is an oversight um, and one that will be remedied in short order, I imagine. Um, I, somehow it seemed like a good idea at the time, but I, I, I think I agree with you that uh, it could it could benefit from some more prominent positioning. In many ways, you would assume that sort of the weeks leading up to the release of a piece of software would be the busiest, but in reality, it's the weeks just after, like you said, and the weeks before you're thinking about stability and polish and QA and that sort of thing and making sure that mm. the, the app works reliably. But once it's released, that flood of feedback comes in, and that's actually when the development work kicks in to overdrive again. Because you've got to, I mean, this is true all the way back to the 1.0 version of Rune. I mean, there there are famous stories about the the release over the first three, four, five weeks of 1.0, all the features that we had just overlooked and that people clamored for, and then we went into overdrive to build them. That's the the true test of a software company. It's not what they put out on day zero. It's what's happening in, say, like day 30. Absolutely. Because not everything is going to be perfect out of the gate. And I'm amazed, actually, because it's it, this app is super stable, hasn't crashed on me once, and I was expecting it to because I've got a beta. I thought it's going to crash. It hasn't. So we should point out, I think, because I think I'm going to make a video about this at some point, but I think it needs to be made crystal clear to anybody who's not really familiar with Rune 
that you can't download or offline content from Tidal or Kobo's inside the Arc app, right? That's correct. Now, can you explain to us why that is? Sure. I mean, I can, I can to the best of my understanding. Um, mm-hmm. We're not a streaming service, so we don't have uh, relationships with record labels in the way streaming services do. But what we've come to understand from our contacts at Tidal and Kobus is that their contracts with the actual content providers, with the labels, are extremely restrictive in terms of where content can be stored, how it can be cached, how long it can live before it expires, because obviously it's their copyrighted material. So mm. there, there are contractual obligations um, on the part of the streaming services to secure that content. And as a result of that, one of the things that's sort of specifically uh, prohibited, as we understand it, is third-party apps or hardware devices or whatever caching that streamed content. So mm. this is something that we're obviously constantly pushing for because we'd love to be able to have this functionality. We don't have it today, uh, but you know, we'll keep talking to the streaming services about it and seeing if we can make it happen. I guess for me, I can speak for myself here because I can't really speak for anybody else, but if I want to offline an album from Tidal, I'll use the Tidal app or I'll use the Kobo's app. Like for me, streaming Tidal through Arc, it might be a nice thing to do now and again. We'll come to data limits in a minute. But for me, the the, the kind of the meat and potatoes of Arc is having my own private streaming service based upon the downloads and CD rips I've built over the years. They're on a hard drive that is directly attached to my Rune core. I know from experience from talking to members of my YouTube audience that many people, especially in the USA, have unlimited data available to them on their sort of mobile phones. I think it's the same in the UK as well. Yes. All right. In Germany, 25 gigs is probably the most you could get in a in a pinch. Sure. Most most people are operating on 10 gigs. And so when people go, oh, it's no problem because I've got an unlimited plan. Well, your data plans will vary according to territory, I think. I had a better plan in Australia than I have today in Germany. Oh, wow. Ge- that's amazing. Germany is really backwards when it comes to mobile phone plans. I think most people would admit that, especially the internet infrastructure as well. It's really weird. That's interesting. I mean, there, there are sort of three primary use cases, as I think of it, for ARC in terms mm-hmm. of how you really use it when you're out and about. There's the case um, where you're at a location that has Wi-Fi, like you're at the office or you're in a hotel room on holiday or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, you obviously, you've got the benefit of the Wi-Fi. You can use everything the way as if you were at home, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, then you've got the, the sort of, you're on a mobile network and there, that's where those differences are going to come into play, whether you have unlimited data, whether you don't, whether the signal's strong or reliable or whatnot. Um, and then there's the third use case where you're you're on airplane mode because you're on a plane or in a tunnel or whatever. And in those cases, that's where you're you're really having to fall back on the content that you've offlined from your own library. Mm. Um, so in each of those cases, the behaviors become slightly different. Um, I had never really thought through the implications of having limited data. Like, how would your behaviors change? Would you? It's hard for me to think about the implications of having unlimited data, because I would never. I would be less likely to make a very clean distinction between offlining and streaming, because if if there's no penalty to my data plan, why would I really? I would care less, right? Yeah. Well, you 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 do it. You you think ahead of time, like you get your desert island discs on there for when you are in a tunnel or on a plane, 
You know, mm. that's 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 the way I think about it. Like these are my must-haves. I'll just offline those before I leave the house, mm-hmm. and then you know everything else. If I can have it, I can. You know, if not, I can't. Right, but the thing is, is the music stored. Say, for example, all the, all the music stored on my Rune Core. Sorry, the hard drive that's attached to the core. I have to be specific about this. Um, it's all CD quality or better. Now, sure. if I forget to offline something, and let's say I'm outside and I know I've only got like 50 megabytes left, I'm obviously not going to stream the CD quality version. So the great thing about ARC is that you can vary the quality of the stream, right? Yes. So basically, in the settings of ARC, there are um, a sort of a quality setting for Wi-Fi and a quality setting for cellular. So on my Wi-Fi, I have original format. So that could be high res if I have it. I don't have a lot of that. Um, but I've got CD quality, and then there's something called balanced, and there's something called bandwidth optimized. And it's the same in the cellular. Now, one thing I did notice is that when I'm using bandwidth optimized, so on the cellular thing, it streams using the Opus codec, which I believe is the same codec used by SoundCloud. Am I right about this? I believe so. There's a couple of of products and services that use it. Opus, when we were evaluating which codec we should use for this purpose, there were a few choices. Mm. Um, some of them were um, AAC, for example, was just because of the licensing cost was eliminated out of the gates. Um, the others would be MP3, mm-hmm. um, Ogvorbis, and Opus. Um, mm. Opus consists of two separate codecs. Um, there's a little bit of confusion about this sometimes. The Silk codec which is optimized for voice communication and is used by a, a number of the you know voice and video chat products that we all use. Hmm. Um, but then there's also the Kelp codec, which is optimized for music. Um, yeah. And we chose it because it, in some ways, the Kelp codec is sort of like the spiritual successor to Vorbis. So we figured mm-hmm. of the available choices that that was the most sensible one to make. Right. I mean, I, I guess if you're a, a bandwidth hog and you have unlimited um, data on your phone plan, you're probably never going to go near this unless you've got, you know, you're in some kind of weird, really weird remote area and the actual pipe is much narrower. Um, but I think it's quite useful because I was out last Saturday morning, but I was in quite a noisy area. So I didn't need to have CD quality. It would be, be pointless. So I streamed sure. something in Opus, which was good enough for the purpose and for the context in where I was listening. I guess the thing is, the point I'm making here in a very roundabout way is there are there is flexibility for all sorts of use cases for people with lots of data available to them on their mobile phone phone plan or people living in Germany where we have bugger all or for, you know, different kind of environments. Because if you're on the train, let's face it, you don't need to be streaming CD quality. I don't think. Exactly. There are cases where just having access to the music that you know is enough. I mean, if you're, you know, you, you could be playing out of your phone speaker, sitting at a coffee shop, whatever it is, there are places where the sound quality is less of a priority. It's still nice mm. to have access to your music, but the sound quality takes a backseat. Um, if you're on headphones and you have bandwidth, then great. You can do that too. Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue that with an app like this, it, it makes it very clear that access to one's music is in many cases more important than the quality of the stream. 
So it's nice to be able to do the offlining thing or do CD quality streaming. But for me, if I've forgotten an album, I'm like, oh my God, I was just chatting to a friend and he reminded me of that album. And when I'm going home, I want to listen to it. I can punch it in. I don't have to kind of, well, I don't even, yeah. Especially if it's not on streaming services. No, that's the okay. thing. I mean, we're, I'm one of those weirdos where coverage is still an issue on streaming services. I just have an oddball collection where, you know, a, a healthy proportion of it is stuff that's not available on streaming services. And I, mm. I'm having access to that again was, was sort of the, one of the big revelations to me. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. So I'm leaning forward to kind of pick up the app again on, on my phone. Um, the the volume leveling thing I think is pretty useful, and there's also and this one is not for me. There's a setting on here that basically says John will never touch this, and it's called. You wait, you ready for this? It's called. <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing because you know it. It's called DSD playback strategy. <laughs> I ain't never touching that because because that's just that's just beyond me. I don't do DSD, never will. Uh, but I know that there are members of your. I guess what you call them audience or your consumer base or user base. Sure, yeah. They love the DSD, don't they? They just, they live for it, but not me. But I mean, but the, I guess the point is, is it all, because we can't show it because it's a podcast, but the app is very much, um, it has the same look and feel as normal room remote. Um, and I noticed it even has, and I haven't dug into this yet, but like the, the genres for you or the playlists or things like that. Now I would say, that if they're based on streaming service content, which I would assume they would be, then this is going to be a streaming only situation, right? Yes, that's right. The things like daily mixes and Rune Radio and many of your recommendations will be streaming content. So that's something to be mindful of if you're on the limited data connection. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just talking about Germans, really, aren't I? Just on, <laughs> on Germans and maybe some Australians who live in the outback. Um, this is far and away the most requested feature for I don't know how many years running. But it's it, in some ways it makes Rune feel like a truly complete music experience now. You can mm -hmm. you can kind of you can you can enjoy it everywhere. So I, this is a big big day for us. I can imagine. Now I guess we need to talk about the technical part of this because it doesn't come without a sort of a wrinkle that some people might have to sort of iron out, and that is setup and networking setup. So basically, you need to set Rune up on your, well, I guess, configure your router, right? So that the Rune Arc app, when it's out in the street, can it basically its data requests can be sent to the right computer on your LAN. Right. So if I if I let me try and explain it for people that. Okay. Well, maybe maybe I'll I'll make a futz of it, and if I do, you can take over it. But basically, <laughs> if I'm out in the street, right? My, my Rune Arc app makes a connection to the router in my house, right? Because that's the first thing it sees. Kind yes. of routes through, through the internet, through the public internet, to the router. Now, there are many computers on my home network, and the router needs to know which one is running Rune Core. So what I, have to, I had to do to set this Arc setup up is basically tell the router which computer is running the core. Now, generally, data requests, this is a bit technical, isn't it? They come in on different ports. So RuneArc comes up on, I can't remember the port number, but there's a port number. So I had to tell my router, please send all incoming data requests on this specific port number to this computer over here that's running my core. 
So it knows how to internally route, route, route the data, right? So basically what I'm saying is, is there is a little bit of a setup to be done on your home router for most people. Maybe you'll get lucky and maybe your router auto configures it. I've never had that experience, but I mean, I guess, is it? It depends. It depends an awful lot on your router. Um, right. We found, we've now tested with a thousand beta testers. And so mm. we've, we've gotten quite a lot of feedback on this process. In most cases, um, most consumer routers that people have actually, uh, Rune can auto configure them via UPnP. Um, and that that's successful for most people. So the experience that you had is not the norm. Um, it's the one that I had because I have a fairly exotic home network. But um, for most people, Rune just uh, configures itself and the router at the same time, and there's really mm. nothing to do. Um, the configuration is a little technical, but it's you know it's a few minutes work if you read the uh, you know our help center page about it. Um, it's not. I don't know what your experience about it with it was. Well, I mean, I've done it before for other. Um, serv external services. So if I want a remote desktop to my Rune server in case I need to reboot it or do anything with it or just, I don't know, just solve a problem. So I had to forward port 5900 from the router to that computer so I could do that. And I also did it for another streaming, music, music streaming product as well. So I'd already done it twice. So when I went and did it for, for Rune, it was pretty easy. I mean, my mom and dad couldn't do it. I mean, they're in their late 70s and they're you know, they struggle to turn on a Windows PC without getting a virus. So it's just, right. you know, it's... It, I, <laughs> I think most consumer routers, it's not really, it's not a primary use case for most people. I mean, if you want no. to set up a, a Minecraft server in your home that your kids' friends can connect to, you have to do this. If you, you know, if you have these sort of, it's basically, it's media and gaming that requires this. Um, so it's, it's not uncommon depending on what you do with the internet. So Olaf, my cameraman, uh, I think a couple of years ago, he'd managed to set up a VPN tunnel on his home internet connection so he could get Rune, the remote app, to talk to Rune Core and so he could stream. But it was all coming across as WAV. And so on a 10 gig or 15 gig data connection, <laughs> right, it, it would just obliterate it in maybe a few albums. But I looked at that and went, dude, you are a bigger nerd than me. So I guess, you know, it is it is a kind of a... I've heard of more than a few people doing that. And I've always <laughs> felt so bad that you had to go to those lengths to get your music streaming. But yeah. Right. Well, now um, this is why I showed Olaf on the weekend. I'm like, look at this. And he's like, oh, wow. Finally, I can stream music in the street from Rune without having to go through my VPN tunnel. He'll probably tunnel it anyway because he wants everything to be super secure. Well, actually, that, that brings up an interesting point that I want to touch mm. on quickly. Please there do. is There is an, a, a misconception about this this configuration, which is called port forwarding, yes. um, as being somehow insecure. And the reality is quite the opposite. The, I mean, the reason it's implemented, the well, the the security concerns come from frankly, poor implementations of port forwarding. So what you'll see is a router manufacturer will just grab some open source implementation that's buggy and has problems. That's kind of where the reputation comes from. But in principle, architecturally, the way it works is extremely secure. So it's really down to your router. The idea is that uh, you know the, the average consumer router is expecting to have most of its traffic, its request traffic outbound. So 
devices inside your home network go out to the internet and ask for things and bring mm -hmm. them back. Yes. Um, in this case, obviously, we're talking about the reverse, and and most of those routers are not they're not set up for that. A corporate router might be, for example, an enterprise router, um, mm. but for a home router, that wouldn't be the case. So you have to go this this extra step to say, I want to allow some traffic in from the outside, but of course, I don't want to allow everyone in. I just want this traffic from RuneArc to go directly to that device, but the router will control that traffic and say that nothing else can happen across that connection. So it's actually extremely secure. Right, because you're only explicitly opening your internet connection to that port number, which is why I'm not reading it out on, on air, because I don't want people thinking, you know, that that port number is, you know, well, whatever but, it is. But the only traffic that's accepted on that port will be traffic from RuneArc. And because you yes. have to sign into RuneArc with your Rune credentials that are the same as on your Rune core, we know it's you making that connection from the outside. Right. So there's a few layers of security to this. I don't want to overplay the complexity here at all. So to know whether you need to do the port configuration on your router, the first thing you should do is open up normal Rune, go to settings, go to Rune Arc, and there's a pane that tells you whether or not Rune can talk to the outside world. Exactly. Not. Yeah, it'll just say ready with a little purple tick mark, and it'll. in most cases, that will be what happens. Um, if it says that it's not ready for some reason, then you just have to head over to the Help Center and, and read that page. Right, so you have some help materials on your website. Absolutely. We've we've onboarded quite a few people through this process, so we've mm. we've refined that pretty well. That's good to know. So you you people you are available, well not you personally, but your support team are available <laughs> via email in case people get stuck with this, right? Yeah, but really what we found is that people um if if Rune doesn't auto configure for some reason, um with that help center page that we've got, most people are able to sort it out themselves. It's not that complicated. Right. I guess most people, if they know what port forwarding is, they'll just Google it. Port forwarding and then the name of their router. And they'll just they'll go that way. Yeah, the, the most cryptic aspect of this is the user interface to your, you know, the web configuration user interface to your router most often. They're you know, awful. Like I, they're, yeah, they're all have, of them are awful. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I, I don't know who writes these apps, but they're 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 kind of scary. Um on mine, mine is from Virgin Media and it's it was interesting to say the least to find. But mm, okay. So we've talked a lot about Arc Eno. But Arc is obviously one part of Rune 2.0, so it's a big release for you. What else is going on inside Rune in this yeah, major step release? Well, in 2.0, uh, very little has changed visibly in terms of the user experience in Rune on the desktop and, and uh, Rune Remote. Uh, but Rune 2.0 does now have native support for Apple Silicon, meaning that you'll get much better performance and stability on newer Macs. Ah, uh -huh, okay. So it's no longer using the Rosetta, the Rosetta translation. Exactly. Right. Okay. Well, that's, I guess that's good for people, well, like me, who runs all sorts of different computers. But yeah, I have Rune Core running on a Mac right now on an M1 Mac. So yeah, that's. I guess that would make the user experience. I hate to use the Apple word from 15 years ago, but I'm going to do it. Snappier. Does it? Does it? <laughs> it does. It is snappier. It is more stable, um, and. We see a lot of people using Mac Minis, for example. They're very popular as a core platform. So mm. it'll help all those people out quite a lot. Fantastic. Well, I, is there anything else we need to cover now? I mean, this is a fairly short conversation, but it's short and sweet. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a simple product. It's, it's much needed, I think. But uh, yeah, it, that's, I think that's pretty much it. I guess the one thing I would add is that this Arc app really does open up the Rune consumer base 
to HeadFi, the HeadFi community or the head the headphone user base of the world, right? Because that's always been like unless you're listening at home using yeah, using Rune at home, the headphone crowd haven't really been sort of included as much as they are now because now you're bringing in all the people that you know use IEMs say with a dongle DAC with their phone or you know using an android based portable player so they can run runark on that i would assume right because it's google play yeah. storable right yeah so you're pulling in a much bigger crowd so i guess maybe in japan it will become you know a big thing i would think absolutely i mean, i think you know our roots obviously were in the sort of the two channel hi-fi world where People are doing listening at home, and then we expanded into multi-room supporting different systems in the home. But Rune, Rune has still been so home-focused. Um, mm. This really this brings in all kinds of users who are who are you know primarily mobile. It turns out there's a lot more of those. All right, I think um, our work here is done. No, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much, John. Take care. <laughs>